This podcast is proud to be sponsored by DVD Netflix. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 32, which is devoted to one of the greatest film stars of all time, Robert Mitchum. And because he was so great and is such a favorite among film lovers, we're doing things a little bit differently in this episode. It'll kick off pretty similarly to every episode you've heard on Watch with Jen over the past few years, where I speak with one guest about their favorite movies starring their subject. And today I have a knowledgeable classic movie blogger and writer, Raquel Stetcher, joining me. You heard Raquel a few years back. She is one of my colleagues over at DVD Netflix. She's also written for Turner Classic Movies, and runs the really great blog, Out of the Past. After you hear Raquel and I chat about Mitchum and some of his most famous works, then you'll hear a second guest, separately from Raquel, that I recorded a little bit later this summer, and she is a returning guest as well, the prolific, incredible actress-turned-producer Amy Robinson. And I will introduce her in between the conversations so you know who is speaking at home. So let's go ahead and kick things off with Raquel Stetcher on Robert Mitchum. Thank you. And I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for being here, Raquel. It is always a pleasure. It's been way too long. I see you on social media and I always love uh, talking to you there. But this is going to be a real treat because I know Robert Mitchum is your favorite actor, your blog is out of the past. So I would love to know what it is about Mitchum that first appealed to you was out of the past, the movie that changed everything. Like walk me through your Mitchum love. Well, first of all, thanks for having me back on the podcast. Always. Very exciting. (laughs) So for Robert Mitchum, he was my first introduction to classic movies, really, and my love of classic movies. I was an English major, and I had taken an elective course on film because I just really loved, you know, reading the book and then watching the movie at the theater. So I had a I had a dual love for literature and film. So I took this film course, and one of the films that the professor showed us was Out of the Past from 1947. And I was just really struck by the film, the style, um, how mysterious and sexy it is. And Mm -hmm. it's one of those movies you want to watch over and over again. So, and I was particularly struck by the two leads, Robert Mitchum and Kirk Douglas, who are like polar opposites. But what I like about Robert Mitchum, yes, like they are completely on different spectrums <laughs> yeah and performance and appearance just how they approach everything intensity yeah. like they both bring totally different things to um the table i mean mm-hmm. robert mitchum obviously very handsome guy tall very um yeah. broad shoulders and back he's got this really interesting physique these sad eyes this chiseled face yes those so weird eyes yes 
Exactly. Exactly. Over the years, they kind of get sadder and sadder. And it's Mm -hmm. just, it's like part of the visual appeal. But what I like about him is that he was a very subtle actor. People criticize him for playing himself, uh, variations of himself. Mm -hmm. But what I think is interesting is that he was kind of subtle and the things that he really put effort towards were things like the accent of the character or the physicality of the character. And it wasn't as in your face. He wasn't a method actor. It's very subtle. And then also it's his kind of baby. I don't care attitude. Mm -hmm. It's self-confidence. His um, he's very unaffected by what others think of him. And that is very attractive and almost kind of rare in a industry that is driven by ego. Not to say he didn't have an ego. Oh, yeah. That was very much how he presented himself in real life and in his movies. So those were kind of the things that drew me in. And then I started watching his movies and was floored by how much range he had. He could be in a Western, in a, you know, um, in a film noir, in a romantic comedy. He could do pretty much anything. He really could. And he always was, you know, denigrating his performance or his lack of uh, style. Other people, of course, defended what a hard worker he really was. But he had that famous line, like, there's two kinds of acting, on a horse and off a horse. And Roger Ebert wrote one of my favorite things about Robert Mitchum. That was like one of his favorite actors. And he said something like he has those eyes and he is someone you can imagine sitting in a saloon till it closes down, waiting for someone to come in and break his heart, because that is really just what he did. And, you know, he was incredible. I love that you brought up the accent work because I think he doesn't get enough credit for that. I think people just remember Mitchum and the face and like you said, his physicality and they don't really get the subtle little inflections he's doing. Sometimes um, you barely notice them. They're imperceptible. And then in movies like a couple we're going to talk about today, Night of the Hunter and Friends of Eddie Coyle, you know, it's more pronounced, but it's still subtle. Like um, I can't remember which actress it was. I want to say it might have been Jane Greer said something like um, he never acted like acting to him was like falling off a log. He just sort of did it. He made it look easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very natural. That, yeah. He had that line about like you just show up, you hit your marks, um, know your lines and then go home. And uh, yeah, but it was definitely he wasn't more- caught up in that world of like publicity and marketing he didn't he notoriously didn't watch his own movies he just really enjoyed the work and he was also secretly talented and not so secretly talented he was a songwriter a singer he released a calypso album he wrote comedy skits um he wrote poetry I mean he was like multifaceted but wouldn't admit it to anybody (laughs) yeah I found that so interesting I had known about um the album because I always wanted to track it down and it was really really funny last August I went to LA and I hit this little record store and the owner was kind of a talker and so I didn't really get I was like "Uh uh-huh and you know I wasn't looking 100% (laughs) closely enough and uh, yeah, I found a couple things. And then when I left the next day, I met up with my friend, actor James Urbaniak. And he was talking about he had been we missed each other by 24 hours at the oh, same wow. record store. And he picked up the Calypso album. 
and oh, I was man, like, that's a oh fine. I was like, if I would have seen it, James, I would have gotten it first. But he said, you know, he's like, it's charming. He has some real talent. And then it's also just it's charming. But uh, but yeah, I found it really interesting today when I was looking up um, Mitchum, like doing a little more digging. And I found that he was like a ghostwriter for an astrologer to the stars in the 30s. And I really need to read a full bio on him. I was going to ask, what do you recommend? Do you love, do you like the one um, Baby I Don't Care? Or do you have a preference? So I have the the Baby I Don't Care, which is um, by Lee Server, who is it's considered the definitive Robert okay. Mitchum biography. And I mean, it's it's got its problems, like the way the author writes about women is a little suspect, but <laughs> it is very thorough. And I do recommend it because it's got the biggest scope on his personal and professional career. And if you're interested in his movies, it's got a lot of behind the scenes detail on how the movies were made and i always reference it in my research on his movies what do you recommend it i mean there are other i mean i believe it's out of print but i know the internet archive you can borrow a digital copy and there always are copies to buy online robert mm-hmm. mitchum never wrote his own memoir or autobiography it wasn't really in his like no. nature to do something like that but there is like a collection of interviews and that's the closest we have of like Robert Mitchum's own voice. And I have that and that's really good. Oh, um, that's wonderful. And there are a couple that were published, I believe in like the nineties, but the, the least server one is really the definitive biography. Oh, that's good to know. Yes. And I think another thing that you um, said that was so spot on and really great observation was you were talking about how he wasn't really worried about his image or uh, the publicity machine. Likeability can really hinder an actor uh, in their choices and what they want to do. I have friends who are screenwriters who say that they get notes from actors all the time. Like, you know, I don't know if I want to say that because it might affect my me getting some roles down. They have a, you know, it's their livelihood. You understand it. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it, it does really hinder. And I love some of the stories like Charles Lawton tells about Night of the Hunter and how he kind of rushed towards that role instead of away from it. And uh, yeah, it, it's really or cool. when he was arrested for marijuana and that could have destroyed his career in the late 40s. Yes. But he got right back to work after being in jail. Yes. And, and the prison farm. Put, you know, he like he you know, he did his time and yeah. he was all over the tabloids and he got right back to work. Howard Hughes put him in. I think the big steal was his first post um, prison movie and it was like nothing ever happened and only Robert Mitchum could get away with that (laughs) really and it's so true and how amazing is that in like 1947 I think that happened around then and uh, it didn't impact his popularity at all a few years later you know it was overturned because they realized it had been a setup uh, designed Mm -hmm. to kind of like fish and grab people Uh, entrapment probably would have been the term but yeah. yeah, he was like it, ambushed. It was yes. in like a particular tabloid. I mean, he was a marijuana user. Oh, yeah. So they could have easily caught him, him. But yeah, it was definitely a setup. And yeah. the fact that he came out of that kind of unscathed is really amazing because had it been an actress, 
her career. I think the woman too that was caught also in that, like she was at the beginning of her career and it kind of went nowhere. I don't know all it the details. Did. But, yes, she was. But it is kind of, of extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> oh no, I was just going to say she kind of tried to cash in on that and did like an exploitative, like a B picture to try to, um, you know, I think make the most of it but like spin it around and it just didn't oh. work so yeah I think you know and it it does show a double standard for sure and this was also around the time of like holiday affair which is mm-hmm. incredible I think that was after the arrest that kind of talked him into doing that it's one of my favorites one discovered on our own mutual love of TCM yes um, it's one of my top favorite movies I, I watch it every it. year Yes. Yeah, and he's in it's the one of only two romantic comedies, although two for the seesaw is his other kind of like romantic oh, Shirley movie. McLean. That's a little dark. And yeah. Yeah, that's more dark. That's more like a romantic drama. But also what a way to go, I think, is the one I'm thinking oh, of. Yes. That's also kind of yes. like a like a fun comedy. But Holiday Affairs is only romantic comedy, which is sad because he's so charming. Was really good and charming. Yeah. And you want Janet Lee to go for him. Like you're rooting for him the whole time. <laughs> I know. One of the best screen kisses like ever is in that movie. Yes. Of course, Mitchum is kind of notorious for that. Like when people say, uh, what is the sexiest scene in a movie that doesn't involve sex? I always go for the scene in Out of the Past with, you know, the towel uh, on the hair in the middle of the rainstorm. And then he throws it at the lamp and the lamp knocks over and the door swings open in the wind. And, and there's a storm outside. Yes, <laughs> it's so perfect. Yeah, yeah, that is like and that's what one of the things I like about those old movies is that they had to be really subtle yes. with how they, you know, insinuated sex, you know, in scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to pick out those things, like whether it's a train going through a tunnel or like a lamp being knocked over or like tussled hair after a scene yeah clothes are all disheveled yes exactly I love that stuff yeah absolutely well we should probably dive in that was the film that kind of was your gateway to classic movies I'm gonna let you take it away because like I said in uh, the earlier part of this episode out of the past is the name of Raquel's uh, site you should check it out And uh, Raquel, talk to me about that one. Yeah, I mean, the reason I called my classic movie blog um, out of the past was I needed something to to denote that it is a website about old movies. And I like the out of the past because these are movies from the past. But then also, yes, it was my introduction to classic movies. So it just fit really well. Um, But what struck me about this movie um, is just... Re- a really interesting film noir. It's considered one of the most film noir of the film noir because noir <laughs> yeah. was um, a style movement. Um, and you get a lot of that here. You get some of the, um, you get a little bit of voiceover. You get a yeah. little, you get the lighting, the the use of um, light and shadow. You have these characters that kind of skirt the line between bad and good. And then you also have some really just terrible characters like Kirk Douglas yeah. is clearly a villain in this. Oh, but yeah. Jane Greer's character is, you know, like she's, she's wearing white. Yes. 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 She's the femme fatale, but there's also the softness about her. Mm-hmm. And Robert Mitchum is kind of the, the man caught in between. He's got this girlfriend at home who is just the epitome of good, supportive mm-hmm. of him. He's, 
has this whole life ahead of him, running this gas station, going to get married to his girl. But then his dark past comes back and draws him back. And um, he got involved with this gangster um, that Kirk Douglas plays, uh, who is searching for his the gangster's mall, who ran yeah. away with Me- to Mexico with all this money. And then he gets caught up in it. And the movie can be really confusing. There's a lot of like flashbacks. It is. Yeah. All of a sudden there's <laughs> documents and account. Like I remember the first couple times I saw it, I'm like, wait, what now? And I might have had to remind yeah. something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also one of the things I like about it is yeah. that it's very rewatchable because yes. it is kind of confusing. You want to watch it multiple times. Mm-hmm. And I find that every time I watch it, I pick on I pick up on something new. Yes. Um, so yeah. I think that that makes it a kind of a rich experience. And it's a good introduction to film um, noir specifically. And it that's how really I was introduced. Is. It was like an example of film noir. It's kind of textbook noir. You have that just lush cinematography. Is it by Musaraka or Musaraka? Yes. Um, yes. If I'm pronouncing that correctly. But he shot Great also. angles. Yes. Blood on the Moon as well. Mm-hmm. And just, um, I think it was Ebert again in his great movies piece kind of said it's one of the great smoking pictures of all time because Kirk Douglas. There's so many cigarettes. <laughs> and Mitchum don't like talk to each other. They smoke at each other, which was such a good way of uh, describing it. And yeah, I love uh, Jane Greer is kind of the epitome of um you know, she is kind of an innocent. Now, if you know the way that noir works, you know immediately that all is not probably well and there's more to yes. her character. But I love that she is sort of, she has that thing like in Postman Always Rings Twice, you know, where you think she's innocent because of the way she is uh, depicted and how they play on um light and shadow and um, ideas of costuming have you seen against all odds because i was going to say in that one which is the remake of it uh you have uh, jeff bridges in for robert mitchum and this was in his early himbo gorgeous day uh (laughs) early days in the 80s like right after cutter's way and i mean he's just like a specimen of a man i remember a few years ago i watched it during the pandemic and i shared and like jam at Maslin and everybody was like, oh my God, and just drooling over early uh, Jeff Bridges. And so he was a good update. We had Rachel Ward, who does kind of have a a Jane Greer thing going on. James Woods was excellent in the early 80s as kind of a Kirk Douglas type, but the movie itself is very dumb. They brought in football. It's very strange, Um, but it's kind of trash-tastic. And uh, but if you watch Out of the Past, like what did they do? But uh, I wanted to know. Have you? I seen haven't it? seen it, and okay. I had a really bad experience with the Postman Always Rings Twice remake. Oh my goodness, which was just yes. awful. It was like, <laughs> and I liked where watch, they were right? going, but yeah. then they didn't have that like conclusion, which just left you empty so i have not seen that i've been kind of nervous about approaching it but do you think it would be worth watching i think you would have fun with it but it it is not great i mean okay against all odds is a beautiful song and you know i think you would probably laugh and it's it's not a great picture but i think you'd have fun it it doesn't have that sort of um dark in your face um 
brutality that Ray Folson's uh, Postman Always Rings Twice. They were really going yeah. for raw, ugly sexuality. It's sweaty, greasy, it's, yeah, yeah it's sexy. Just, it's yeah, it's like um, ugly, sexy, kind of. And they, yeah, they wanted which, that. Which is, is more true to the novel, oh, God, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Because when I read the novel, I'm like, Lana Turner is the opposite of this character. Yes. But one thing that ties it in with Out of the Past is the entrance, like Lana Turner's entrance. And she's got Perfect. that white outfit and she's got the yeah. turban and then the lipstick is rolling. And that's a very memorable entrance. And she's very like light and bright. And the same Jane kind of Greer. thing happens to Jane Greer. She's coming out of the sun and she's in a very light colored dress and a big hat. Mm-hmm. And she's very soft and fem- feminine. And she's entering this sort of masculine space of the bar. And Robert yeah. Mitchell's waiting for her. And I just think that that's one of the best entrances, too, in film noir is like the Lana Turner one and then also the Jane Greer one. Yes. And just listening to you made me also think of Jean Tierney entering in the doorway uh, as Dana Andrews is looking at her portrait and Laura. So it's kind of the same element of how they're introducing these women and making us and that was kind of good build up too because you don't really get to her you get flashbacks but you don't really get to her till like kind of later in the movie yeah and you're also pointing out some really good signature elements of noir when you talked about like the narration the convoluted plotting uh you know Mm -hmm. nobody can understand like big sleep like uh i think it was raymond chandler damned if i know (laughs) you know like he couldn't even (laughs) explain it and um you know so out of the past it does make sense but you do have to kind of go it's not like inherent vice the pinchon novel and the the movie where you know you watch that 20 times and you can't explain it but this one it is you can eventually get it yes yes (laughs) exactly so it it's a good one um is this still your one of your favorite mitchums do you have absolutely a favorite? Okay. this is my number one favorite and although i didn't pick holiday affair to talk about um um today i that is my second favorite for sure yeah and that's up there yeah robert mitchum he's you know just not to be vain but he's at his peak beauty in and out of the past no he, i agree with you he's yeah. statuesque he's really beautiful and you understand why jane Greer is like has fallen for him and you understand why also she's fallen for Kirk Douglas because he's like the polar opposite but he's also like at his most beautiful yeah and you what I like is the interplay between Robert Mitchum and Kirk Douglas in this because like we had talked about before like their intensity is very different yeah and there's a lot of subtleties with um cigarettes and drinks um, and how they kind of steal the scenes from each other. And one scene, Kirk Douglas is handing um, Robert Mitchum a cigarette, and he's already got a cigarette in between his fingers, and he's like already smoking, um, yes. which I think is, I think that was um, improvised, but they play off each other really beautifully. And I they think do. because he's kind of got an actor who's the opposite of him in both character and acting style. This is a really good introduction to Robert Mitchum's work because then you can kind of pick up on his subtleties as an actor and what made him unique because you kind of are contrasting and comparing it with someone who's completely different. Yeah, you know, thinking about some of the actors that were in contention for this, like John Garfield, who I love as well. But um, I think Dick Powell, too. Dick Powell. And um, thinking about them opposite Kirk Douglas, I don't know that it pops. You really do need somebody completely 
different. And that's what you get in Mitchum. And I also mm-hmm. love, um, you were talking about Jane Greer and, you know, the beach. It reminded me of the movie The Firm. It's Tom Cruise's birthday as we're recording this. And, you know, there's a scene where he gets um, entrapped by this beautiful woman on the beach and she just kind of like appears and um, she's being attacked and he has to like, you know, get get in there as he has a hero complex. And uh, so kind of the dumb guy being brought into this uh so it just kind of reminded me of ah you can see maybe how John Grisham when he wrote the book or Sidney Pollack might have referenced out of the past a little bit this is a film Mm -hmm. that has inspired and influenced just so many maybe subconsciously I mean um it's so iconic it's such a, a classic of film noir for sure is it still you said your favorite film noir and it's still my favorite film noir yes. and there's a lot competing with it i oh, really yeah. love husband always brings twice and double yeah, yeah. indemnity oh love and that yep robert mitchell made um several noirs and um like blood on the moon his western noir i mean he was yeah. just really good at that that style because i think he just fit um fit the characters because he was he could be a good guy he could be a bad guy and he could be in between and in a very subtle kind of stylish way and in this film like he's doing uh you know he's he's working with a criminal but there's also a lot of things that are very kind about his character like his girlfriend back home the fact that he has kind of taken this um this uh deaf yeah. mute teenager played by Dickie Moore under his wing and he mm-hmm. no one knows like sign language but he can actually read sign language which I think is mm-hmm. like an interesting subtle thing that I kind of picked up more on this past viewing mm-hmm. um so his character is really great the setting's really great Bridgeport California is where they filmed a lot yeah. of the scenes there's also um, some great scenes filmed in Lake Tahoe. Um, so it's got some like nice settings. Yeah. Great characters. I just, there's so much to love about this. I just, I'm I thrilled agree. every time I get to watch it. Yes. And I love all the supporting uh, players and the characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, for what you were, the same reasons that you were bringing up, it kind of reminded me of when I had Nell Minow on. And she was talking about how, especially in the early 90s, they would give him a gay best friend or something and kind of show like this person is lovable and they get it. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what makes uh, the Mitchum character so interesting is we're going to see him do some unsavory things or kind of in between things. Mm -hmm. But he has this life. He he takes his girl fishing every day. And, you know, it's sweet. And he does work with this um, deaf mute um, operator at his um, gas station and he has this life where he knows that uh, his girl's friend is madly in love with her and um, you know it, it's an interesting life and then when we go out of the past we see a different side of him and I think it's it's good you need somebody like Mitchum who can bring all of these elements but also everybody in this movie their characters even if they're only in it for a scene or two are important for sure because yeah, like Rhonda um, Fleming has a really she has a yes. small role but really important role there aren't like Very. a ton of female characters but the three main yes. ones including her all have really important roles to play yeah and um this was one of like Rhonda Fleming's like really early movies I think she was the last surviving cast member of this film like her oh, Douglas wow. I think was the second to last so um interesting I don't know 
it's it's really interesting. And also Robert Mitchum's still very early on in his career. So this really gave his career a boost. He had already been nominated for Academy Award, his yeah, like one story nomination. Of yeah. <laughs> story of G.I. Joe. But this really kind of boosted him as a movie star, even though like um, Howard Hughes really tried to be like, I don't want anything to do with this movie. Dory Sherry tried, like, worked on it, and we got rid of him. <laughs> um, so even though they like, they kind of sabotaged this movie, there's something about it that kind of cemented him as a movie star. And then its legacy, um, it's really been appreciated by contemporary audiences because it's like this really cool film film noir and because it's kind of complicated and because it's kind of stylish and sexy too yes well our next couple of films do see him in the crime milieu or actually the the rest of them um just different site or different sides of crime uh we're going into one of his westerns i love mitchum in a good western one of my favorite Mitchum uh, tales is when Howard Hawks called him for El Dorado and he's like what what's the story a story it's you and Duke Wayne in a western and like that was good <laughs> enough and so he went to Tucson and then shot it but uh I I love a good uh, Mitchum western and so uh mm-hmm. Blood on the Moon was kind of a newer discovery a few years ago Warner Brothers sent me the Blu-ray, and also I think it came out at the same time as Rachel and the Stranger, which I, which I also really enjoyed. Um, but Blood on the Moon is so stylish. Uh, it has some stuff in common with Out of the Past. It's also very, very strange. It's a psychological Western, but there are some scenes where he is like flirting with Barbara Belgetti's by like shooting at each other. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of uh, bananas. Has a really good knockdown, drag out fight. Um, you know, a lot of times in movies like the Fast and the Furious movies, when you have people who have it in their contract, you know, The Rock and Vin Diesel, that they have to get in the same number of hits. So these fights go on for oh, like 25 yeah. minutes and nobody is tired. This is a barroom brawl that took like three days to shoot for director Robert Wise, and he wanted to make sure. The winner was as tired as the loser. They were both completely spent, completely battered. So I always respect that in these movies like Man of the West, Anthony Mann's Western kind of has a similar thing. It's like a two minute fight, but they're like huffing and puffing by the end of it. <laughs> and so I love that in Blood of the Moon. Um, you also have the same cinematographers out of the past. Um, it's very, very stylish. So when did you first see this one and your thoughts on it? I had the same experience where I was, um, this is kind of a new discovery for me. I also was sent the Blu-ray from Warner Yay. Archive and it's a, uh, they had released it on DVD, but um, the Blu-ray I think came out um, in 2020 and okay. I had never seen it before. And I love that it was a Western noir um, combination. When yeah. I first watched it, I was like, okay, this is okay. But then I yeah, watched yeah. it again and then I really came to appreciate the movie. And then I saw it this year at the TCM Classic Film Festival. Ooh. And film historian Alan K. Rohde, who recently wrote a book just about this movie. It's like a 100-page book that's only about Blood on the Moon. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, introduced it. And I got a copy of it. it was, it's, I've been reading it. It's, been, it's really cool. Um, oh, I'd love So I had this yeah. whole other experience with this movie. And seeing it on the big, big screen... I got to appreciate um, a lot of more about the cinematography and also the yes. um, 
the Western elements, the noir elements, the, I really love the shootout scene at the end. I think oh, that gosh. is just fabulous. It's you wonderful. You have like Robert well Mitchum, he's injured. And then uh, Barbara Bel Geddes and she's trying to save him. And then there's the showdown between Robert Preston and Robert Mitchum who are like, yes. um, uh, they're really interesting. There's a lot of backstabbing. I like that yeah. Barbara Bel Geddes character is like a tomboy yes. and it's just really great. You have like a great cast. I mean, like Charles McGraw's in this, Walter Brennan, who was in everything is in this. I know. Um, I love that line that Walter Brennan said when he first saw Mitchum in his Western costume. Like that is the goddamn realest cowboy I've ever seen. And you can just like imagine <laughs> Walter Brennan saying that. And that's a guy who knew his Western. So uh, the fact that he thought that about Mitchum was wonderful. But yeah, what a cast. Um, it's a strange one. It's kind of got elements of like one family versus, I mean, they're not a family, but kind of a makeshift family. Um, there's the daughters and like you said, so much backstabbing. It's very noir in that. A lot uh, of betrayal. (laughs) I know people spying secrets. It's, you know, it's, it's another one of those complicated ones when you watch it, like what sides and yeah, it's cool that it was also featured in the Criterion Collection Western Noir. Um, okay, yes, that's uh, true. Yeah, category a couple of years ago. I loved uh, discovering some of the films in that uh, collection were not great, but I was really glad uh, to see this one in there for sure. Yeah, so yeah. we got this new um, book about it. So I'm sure you know so much more. I would love to hear uh, you take it away on anything you'd like to share. No, I just think it's I think it's a really interesting um, film. I know that Alan K. Rohde was talking about how it very much represents a couple of aspects of what was happening. You have this post-World War II yes. and it taps into like this post-World War II angst. So that's why the film noir elements work really well. And then um, as a Western, you have some of the elements of Western, but it's not to focus on being out on the range or being out in nature. You have some wonderful scenes um, like with snow on, uh, on a rolling hill. And these are cattle ranchers too. So you have, you have that element, but it focuses more on the interpersonal relationships and the backstabbing and the betrayal. So it, really lean, leans into those film noir elements, which I think mm-hmm. um, makes it a really interesting movie. And I think for anyone who doesn't like Westerns, I'm not a big Westerns movie, although I'll watch any Robert Mitchum Western that he's in. <laughs> I love them. But um, this is actually a really good entry into Westerns because it's got it kind of leans into more of the dialogue and the interpersonal relationships and this little love story um than a um traditional western which might focus on like um um some like like big views of you know rolling landscapes and things like that so that's that's one of the elements i really like about it and because it kind of taps into that that um pervasive angst almost like this nihilism that was happening at the time when there didn't seem to be much hope for things because it just seemed like everyone was up to no good 
yeah yes. that promise so of the world into war that. II and the questions exactly what you were saying yeah i'm a huge western person and i think my favorite thing about the genre is the existentialism of it mm. um those kind of pictures where it's people trying to forge their own futures and um also realize like good and evil and justice and um what can they live with and what can they do and so this is kind of an early uh version of, of that it's also the same year like to talk about more traditional westerns red river which is one of the best of all time was released the same year that was hawks the movie that showed um john ford that that son of a bitch uh was the line uh, john wayne could act and then also with john wayne ford apache uh for john ford and they were more of a traditional nature so this was uh very different like if you went and you thought you were seeing a western triple bill and these three were playing um back to back to back this one would definitely have been the outlier of wait a minute this is a little more like a crime film or a street picture yeah, um, yeah. and I think Mitchum's yeah. kind of like a detective sort of yes. in this you know more so than um, like a, he's like a messenger and I just forget exactly what his character is like he's 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 delivering a message but he's also kind of caught in between yeah. this sort of like backstabbing and his character is almost kind of like his character in Eddie Coyle but yes he's, he's like a go-between almost side. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know what this movie actually like reminded me of is Kelly Reichardt's um, Meek's Cutoff, which oh, yes. is a wonderful Western. Wonderful. That film. is, I mean, takes place um it in like the time of like the pioneers, but mm-hmm. this is, but it actually is speaking kind of about um um the Iraq War, and it has yes. like this this message about the president and him leading the country astray and you have like that was that was sort of like the thematic element of this story where you have a main character and he's leading all these pioneers astray to his cutoff which ends up they end up not finding a water source they don't know where Mm -hmm. they're going and i think that's really interesting when a western taps into what's happening at the time and i mean i could look into this more for blood on the moon but i feel like it has some stuff to say about its era i mean even in the movie industry 1948 and 1949 was a very tumultuous time yep you have the blacklist coming up you have yeah which is um, what high noon is about Uh, another western yeah yeah, so that that actually that's that's a perfectly good point. Like high high noon and like these films that really tap yeah. into what's happening either into the in the industry or happening in the country at the time. Yeah, um, it's fascinating. TVs when they do that. right around the corner, like the yeah. movie industry is going to have to battle with that. So I don't know. I think it's the movies of 1948 and 1949 are really interesting. I actually did a podcast with Jason Bailey about. Um, about 1949 and how I think it's like a very interesting year in film. So ah, watching movies great. from the very tail end of the forties, you actually learn a lot about the industry and what's happening in the world. Perfect. Yes. And that leads us in to kind of another Western or Western flavor um, with river of no return. I hadn't seen this. Like, I think I went through a Maryland phase in the nineties. I was tracking down. I did too. <laughs> yeah. All, I think they were re-released on video as part of a collection. If I remember yes. right. 
And she was so, branded very much front and center. And yes. the reason why these were available was because of the Marilyn Monroe connection. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember seeing it then, but I had not seen it since. And so um, it was kind of funny, like right before I watched it uh, last month, I did a list of Criterion Channel recommends um, or recommendations for Patreon subscribers. And the filmmaker Chris McKay sent me a message and he's like, Jen, because he loves Westerns too. Um, we just had recorded an episode on Bud Bodeker, which is coming out um, in July. And um, he's like, have you seen River of No Return? Because, you know, that kind of seems like it would be up your alley. And like, I'm watching it again for the Mitchum episode. So I was really awesome. excited to uh, see it again. And I think it's it's excellent. It shows, you know, I don't like uh, kind of like now Criterion this month has like an Elvis Presley collection. Last month they had Marilyn. I don't like it when people... Um, denigrate Elvis or Marilyn uh, for their quote-unquote lack of acting talent. I think they were talented actors. I don't know that they were used properly, but that wasn't their mm. fault. That was like, you know, their managers or the films they were being offered, studios or personal problems. I mean, everything gets fed into it. But I think Marilyn is very good here. I know it was a very difficult shoot um, but, you know, uh, Mitchum is great. He always is great. He's... Um, yeah, it's a really nice film. I guess it was inspired by Bicycle Thieves, which I didn't realize. Yeah, I didn't yeah, realize that, that was until interesting. recently. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this this movie has a lot of like personal connection for me. Oh, good. Um, because it was um, one of the early, I think this might have been the second or third Robert Mitchum movie I had seen. And my introduction to this movie was actually through Marilyn Monroe because mm -hmm. I was on a big Marilyn Monroe kick. And a lot of those movies were available at the time because they were being released on DVD with a lot of Marilyn Monroe branding. So a lot of us were yes. introduced to How to Marry a Millionaire and Gentlemen mm -hmm. Prefer Blondes and all of these great, great films. So I watched this one and... um yeah, so it had that personal connection. Also, it is filmed mostly in Alberta, in the Banff and Jasper areas. And my my aunt, who I'm named after, actually oh. is lives in Alberta. And we had traveled, my mom and I and, and that part of the family had traveled through Jasper and Banff. And I had really wonderful memories, oh, especially... So on the, like, we camped at the Athabasca River, which um, is around the area where this was filmed. And I just have very strong memories of that river. So when I see this, I know some people have said it's just the tributaries that lead to the Athabasca River that are in the movie. But I like to think it was the river from my yes. childhood that is the river of no return. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, look at you so, tying it all together, Raquel. I Perfect. know. It was like, I was all this emotional connection between, you know, my interest in Mitchum, my interest in Monroe, my interest in... Um, the space that they had filmed it's supposed to be it takes place in Idaho but they filmed yeah, in yeah. Alberta so I have that and I really just like it as a it's kind of like a, a small western I like the sort of Yukon vibe it has I know it takes mm -hmm. place in Idaho but the way Marilyn Monroe's dress kind of gives me kind of like the old Yukon um feeling that um that is really like like celebrated especially in like the Alberta and like Yukon territories so mm -hmm. that that 
historical element. But uh, Robert Mitchum and Marilyn Monroe kind of play off really well together. There is an yeah. unfortunate scene of assault that yes, kind of that was, wished that was wasn't in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that was hard to watch. Yeah. But um, um, Marilyn Monroe's character is actually quite lovely. She's very caring. She has this very tender relationship with the young boy who's Robert Mitchum's son. And he also has this very caring side. He's trying to protect both. Marilyn Monroe's character and his son. Um, and it's there's like adventure scenes, there's backstabbing, there's musical mm-hmm. elements. Robert Mitchum sings River of No Return yes. in the intro, the, the theme for the introduction of the movie. And then um, Marilyn Monroe sings it and she sings several numbers. So it's got like this musical element too. I don't know. It's just, I mean, it's not the best Western out there, but it's, it's really, it's kind of like a cozy Western, I would say that it's not very, it's high stakes to to some extent, but not really. You can watch it and kind of be comfortable knowing that, oh, they'll, they'll be fine eventually. These bad things are happening, but they're going to be okay. They're not going to drown in the river. (laughs) No. Yeah. It's high stakes adjacent essentially. Yes. And it's so uh, fifties. It's, it's definitely, like you said, a little cozier than your average uh, Western. I think also because it's in color and, um, you know, there was something so perfect about black and white that lent to the the good and the evil and the starkness. Mm-hmm. And that's not what they're going for with this movie. Um, it's brighter. Uh, yeah. I mean, the assault scene, like one of those for those who maybe haven't seen it in a while, we're talking about a scene, you know, from the unfortunate. This happens sometimes in these movies where, you know, mm-hmm. you assault the woman enough until you get your way. And uh, eventually, though, he's interrupted. And, you know, it's one of those scenes where you're like, hey, but um, overall, it's a really great film. I love what it says about um, how you have to face your past and uh how to explain good and evil and issues to your kid which is oh yeah that's right where the bicycle thieves element comes in um you know the kid seeing dad in a different light like he thought one thing and then uh he overhears something and um the dad had killed somebody while defending somebody else and you know Mm -hmm. um and then at the end of the film he learns how that could actually be and there's a little bit of um a dark Uh, poetic element to how the kid figures it out at the end. I don't want to give a spoiler, but I did not see that coming. Um, I mean, I saw this film, like I said, 20 some years ago, so I didn't remember that at all. Uh, But I really, I liked that payoff because it was unexpected. And yeah, there's... The boy is critical in the, um, basically the delivery of the themes, like there are conversations he's having with Marilyn Monroe's character about beauty and about relationships with women. And then he starts to learn about people being bad, where you have like the Rory Calhoun character who steals the rifle and the, and, and the horse and leaves them stranded. So he's, he's really kind of the vessel for a lot of these big themes in the movie to kind of transmit to us. And he's also like the, the innocence in this very harsh world where you have like imminent attack and this river that, you know, you may not survive. If you go, you put a raft on it, you might not get back to shore. So 
I know that is really interesting. And I, I forgot to mention that I have another connection to this movie yes, you do. where my the first ever TCM Classic Film Festival I went was in 2013. And I saw this movie there. And oh, wow. um, Stanley Rubin, who was the producer of the movie, was there. And Leonard Maltin interviewed him about the making of the movie and how Marilyn oh, Monroe wow. became involved. And they had a lot of struggles with between yes. like Otto Preminger not wanting to make it. Marilyn Monroe um, having some like some personal issues yeah. too on the set. Mitchum as well, kind of being rowdy and yeah, drinking. He was drunk and- <laughs> a lot. Yeah, there was like weird. all these weird liquor laws in that in Alberta that they had, so they all had yeah. to go to like this one hotel to drink. So it, there was a lot of like issues on set, but it really moved me to see the producer of this movie that I already had a relationship with. Oh, nice. A uh, personal connection to and see him in person. And I tell you, I cried when the, the credits started. Oh, I was so overwhelmed by how I could have That's an experience beautiful. like this, how I could love this movie, see it with this huge audience on this huge screen, and then have somebody who worked on it there And it's just one of my favorite memories, my favorite movie memories of all time. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's beautiful. And yeah, I think, um, you know, you brought up Otto Preminger. And I did read because somebody was telling me how protective Mitchum was of his co-stars a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, Marilyn almost drowned in the making of this film. Um, She to protect her corset. She had like these waders in the water and they, they filled up and she nearly drowned. She twisted her ankle. And Mitchum was one of the first people, I guess, that dove in to try to rescue her. Um, and he had uh, another issue with Preminger on a noir that I love, uh, which is Angel Face. That was kind of new to me a couple years ago. Yes. One of those fatalistic, just shocking noirs. And <laughs> he was so rough with uh, Gene Simmons on behalf of yes. uh, Howard Hughes and, and Mitchum clocked uh, Otto Preminger. And, Gave him a uh, big slap across the yes, face. Like, is this how yes. I should do it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And That's so. Something that's very charming about Robert Mitchum is that I mean he was notorious for having affairs oh, yeah. with his leading ladies. Oh sure, but he was actually very kind with Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, um, and he didn't like take advantage of her or anything. He just thought, no. "Wow, this is a woman who's struggling with some stuff," Fragile. and he was just very yeah. gentle with her. Um, and I thought that was really sweet. And Otto Preminger, yeah. like he was notoriously Hard tough with his actors. So the fact yes. that that Marilyn Monroe had Mitchum to kind of shield that, I think is quite nice. Yeah, because after she uh, passed away, I would I saw some interviews that Mitchum gave, um, or I think it was extra features or people talking about Mitchum and saying how uh, tender he was um, speaking about Marilyn and his thoughts mm-hmm. on Marilyn. And that was always nice that he continued to protect her legacy and speak well of her after you know years later and i think that's Mm -hmm. that's rare and that's really good yeah and um you know is there anything else you want to add about river of no return before we move on i just think visually it's a really interesting movie and i love if anyone has ever been um to the rocky mountains in the banff jasper area that place is magical it's one of the most beautiful stunning places i've ever been in my life and this captures a bit of it 
from, you know, decades ago. So in a way, it's a little time capsule of this really like majestically beautiful place on earth. So Mm -hmm. if anything for that, if I could sell you that as a little time capsule of this beautiful space, that's one big reason to watch it. Yes. Yeah. What you need to do is like lead a film related tour and like, you know, they should hire you to come out and show the film (laughs) talk about it. I would it. love that. Yeah. <laughs> We're coming up with ideas here post yes. Netflix. I should say Raquel is one of my colleagues and you know, they are sadly, they're a sponsor of this podcast. They are going away at the end of September. So what we're saying, if you're listening and you have ties to Alberta, hire the wonderful Raquel and she will show this <laughs> I need film. an excuse to go yes. back. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, you need, uh, you need that. Well, the next film is one that I talked to my good friend Walter Cha about a few years ago. We did an episode on uh, gothic movies and you know night of the hunter is as gothic as they get mm-hmm. uh, i love it just the cinematography stanley cortez is just beautiful stunning um it breaks my heart i did an episode actually with my friend james urbaniak on charles lawton in the 30s as an actor and we of course referenced oh, okay. the fact that he only directed the one film night of the hunter and he was crushed by the fact that you know, it wasn't a hit and it got some middling reviews and people weren't sure what to make of it. And then it became uh, the cult hit and the critical uh, reappreciation of the film took place because it is a masterpiece. And uh, that's one of the great injustices of film history is really the fact is. that uh, Charles Lawton didn't live long enough to see like I the know. fact that his movie it's is like being appreciated as a masterpiece. Yes. Yes. And he imagine all the possibilities, because if he did such a good job with this movie, what else could we have gotten from him? And it's just such a shame. Yes, I know. And I love that. I mean, people that turned this down, Gary Cooper, he thought it was going to be detrimental to his career. And uh, when Lawton described him as like a deranged psychopath or something like that, uh, Mitchum won him over by saying present you know like he was yes. already that which is very very charming and of course um he is amazing we talked about his affinity for accents he's doing um, a southern preacher a reverend in this mm-hmm. a hellfire and brimstone you know people who love spike lee uh, do the right thing already knew this i had seen do the right thing before i saw this movie so a film that was influenced you have love and hate on his knuckles um Shelley Winters is amazing and they are completely different as actors. She is very famously a method um, actress and uh, that is not at all uh, Mitchum's style, but they are magical together and it's, Mm -hmm. it's just terrifying. And uh, you also have, um, Oh, why am I blanking? Lillian Gish. Am I getting that right? He is like one of the most Lily badass Gish. characters yes. in film in this movie. Sitting it's in that just fantastic. Chair. Yes. <laughs> I know. And some of the most iconic shots, like the idea of a boy telling a story and then out of the story, you see the shadow and uh, of the fence. There's a lot of that. like lurking in the background yes, or even I in love the foreground. It. Yes. Yeah. So had when was your first experience? Do you have any good memories of seeing this one early? 
Yeah. I mean, when I watched this, I was blown away because this is one of Mitchum's, um, um, like probably his best villain role. I would say I agree. fear is probably really up there because he's just so yeah. evil in both of these. But I, I think he, he brings an intensity to this that he doesn't in his other movies um, except for Cape Fear, but he yeah. still does it in a subtle way, which I think is really interesting. And this movie, it it blew me away when I first watched it because um, this movie is from 1955, and there's this preconceived notion that the 50s were very much like um a safe decade where everyone was watching like um Leave It to Beaver and like it, it, that the entertainment was not in your face it wasn't um sexy it wasn't violent it was just very safe and this is one of those examples that no there were some really dark movies that came out of this era mm-hmm. and that really opens my eyes to what um other movies came out in the 50s so this was like my introduction to the cinema of the 50s which I really appreciated but I love this movie for so many reasons. Yes. The themes are really interesting between good and evil, mm-hmm. religious and non-religious. Um, and in this recent viewing, I came to appreciate more how Robert Mitchum and Lily Gish kind of play off of each other. Yeah. Um, and how they're polar opposites, but they're also the same in many ways. And I had not picked up on picked up on this as much in previous viewings where they're both um they're both religious. Robert Mitchum yep. uses religion for evil. Lillian Gish's character uses it for good. They're mm-hmm. both um sexless, which I thought was interesting. He is yeah. disgusted by women's sexuality, and yes. Lillian Gish's character pities it. She yes. thinks, oh my goodness, like weakness. she sees it. Yes. Yeah, she sees it with the teenage girl that she's raising amongst these other orphans who falls for the Harry Powell character and she kind of pities the character. Um, she is fiercely defensive and he is fiercely going to attack these children. So like you have them on both ends and you see them also sing the same song, which is that leaning song. Yeah. Um, which good. haunts you throughout the whole movie. So I just really appreciated that Mitchum Mitchum's character is probably his most iconic role with the love, hate knuckles. Um, the story of left hand, right hand, that scene really yes, blows you away. It really does. And, and I love it. And also, saying. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. About um, Gish and Mitchum because it, and what they were saying uh, in their relationship to sex, because as it opens, you know, he has all this hatred. You see him, um, you know, men are getting aroused watching this woman dance and you see mm-hmm. his disgust and his fist. And he just like is uh, he thinks women are just these evil, sick temptresses. And then you have Gish. So he thinks like, you know, men are being entrapped by this. Then you have Gish um, and she pities it. And she says something like a guy will say something and then a woman will make a mistake. And so Mm -hmm. she almost sees it as no, the men will entrap, uh, but also that women need to be stronger and uh, be able to say no. So it it is interesting. It's two people who fundamentally um, go for the same book, but take it two very, very different ways. And Lawton had a really good uh, quote when he was um, somebody said, you know, Mitchum, he's too sexy to be playing this. And uh, he said, you have to be sexy to sell religion. And I thought that was perfect. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, he's got that charm. And you see that scene when he's um, in the, I think it's the ice cream parlor with that older couple and Shelly Winters and the kids. Mm -hmm. And he's doing that that left hand, right hand story. And you can see that he's so charming, but there's like an intensity to it that is terrifying as well. And what I think is really interesting about the children characters, especially um, Billy Chapin, who plays the young boy, John, Mm-hmm. He's a little older, um, enough to realize there's something up with this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really the only one who sees the evil in this character. He's got an awareness that we have, but no one else has until you get to the Lillian Gish character, which I think is really interesting. So, yeah, he has to be charming because he's basically wooing the Shelley Winters character to get to the $10,000 that are hidden somewhere. Um and I think it's interesting, too, how how Shelley Winters and Mitchum play off each other, especially in that scene where they're on their wedding night and the oh my room goodness. almost looks like a church. It does. The way. Yeah, yes, it's, it's got it's that point it's and like a steeple. The, yep. Yes. Yeah. There's very religious elements. And he is disgusted by the fact that she wants to sleep with him on their wedding night. How dare she? I know. Uh, (laughs) um, And she's like, oh, my goodness, I'm impure. I need to be clean. Like she feels a lot of guilt for what her husband did. um, Poor Shelly. Stealing the money. She was. And then I think he also going through it. Yeah, (laughs) she is. Yes. Yeah, and also she, like the fact that she is uh, I mean we're spoil we're spoiling movies I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talking about it but this this the shot of the they did that mannequin underwater oh, in the car one of them and she's floating. Haunting. Yeah. That is seriously one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. It when I first really saw it I was like, is. "Oh my gosh." <laughs> yes. I know. Speaking of spoiling movies, um you get Shelly Winters and you think of just the fate of so many of her women and and also oh, yeah. how they're like a place in the sun by, that's what I was thinking another one <laughs> underwater uh that I just talked about with um actually your Baniac about George Stevens movies we did a place in mm-hmm. the sun but um you know she Shelly Winters and Lolita and Shelly Winters all these movies where she is uh, brought down either by sex or men and so that's why one of my favorite Shelley Winters performances is uh, and films is he ran all the way yes and uh, she has a different fate in that movie I won't spoil it for everyone but you know she gets to have a little bit of revenge shall we say and so um, yeah I love that movie oh yes that's yeah. what I was thinking I is was, John Garfield the John, John Garfield, Garfield movie where he basically yes. is keeping her kidnapped Yes, um, and help family. Yes, and they meet in a pool. What is it about Shelley Winters and water? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I know <laughs> that's true. And I like uh, that movie is really exceptional with how it the the tension builds up and how the camera gets closer and closer yes. to the characters' faces. Like you're really okay. right up against John Garfield and Shelley Winters by the yes. end. Then there's that fantastic shot where he's in the gutter and she's kind of in the background realizing like what's what's just happened. And yeah, like her character gets some, yes, like she's a victim, but she comes out, she, she comes out of it. um, Unlike her other characters. I know. It's um, like the the Night of the Hunter. Yes. (laughs) It's uh, Shelly's one. uh, I don't know if you can really call it a big victory because it's heartbreaking, but, uh, but it's, it's better than the typical uh, Shelly. Winter's fate, shall we say? But yes, I love true. Night of the Hunter. <laughs> I think it's you know one of the best films ever made for sure. Um, 
you know, I would actually call it a horror film um, and yes. gothic horror for sure. And you brought up Cape Fear. Uh, I watched this one more than Cape Fear. Cape Fear Same. maybe cuts a little too close to the bone in places for me. It's very intense and in your yeah. face. It took me years to warm up to the idea of watching it. And mm-hmm. I only watched it because my husband bought me the Blu-ray as oh, an excuse wow. for me to watch it. He's like, you yes. got to watch this movie. You know what I love too is um growing up my big crush was Robert De Niro and he played the part in Cape Fear yes. and actually Robert Mitchum is one of his favorite actors so you do have to think you know that is one of the greatest actors of all time De Niro saying mm-hmm. this was an actor and so uh when people uh, say Mitchum was just Mitchum or his persona uh, no, you know, think of uh, like Pacino, all these other actors who loved Robert Mitchum. And, yeah, we could see at least like his influence on other yes, actors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, even though they play the same part of Max Cady and actually work together because Mitchum is in the new Cape Fear, mm-hmm. they do it differently. And um, I think there's a campier element uh, to the new one for sure. But um, but yeah, you know, you have Mitchum in a couple horrors. So this is a guy who worked in all the genres. We kind of yes. wish he would have done more rom-coms for sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he know. had he had a very charming element about him that I think yeah. would have made um for a good comedic career. And he yes. was a comedy writer. He had a knack for comedy. So I he feel like did. he could have done more. But he was also really good as a villain or a heavy or, yeah. you know, um, a mysterious leading man. I mean, it, you know, so he was not typecast, but he was very much relied upon for those roles. He was. He wasn't going to get offered the same roles that like Gregory Peck was probably going to get mm. offered or Cary Grant. Like these were different people that brought different things. Jimmy Stewart. These were um, different yeah. actors who had different sides for sure. Um, and, you know, after he had kind of a, a darker era in the late 60s into the early 70s, um, some mental issues that he's talked about um, or that have come out. But then he had his big comeback, one of his great performances in The Friends of Eddie Coyle, which my friend Sean Burns calls the best Boston movie ever. So yes. <laughs> uh, talk to me about that one. Yeah. So I'm actually from the Boston area. Yes. So that's this why I wanted you is, to kick it off. Yeah. This makes sense for me because um, it puts Mitchum in my world. Um, yeah. I wasn't around in the 70s, but I remember Boston in the 80s and it wasn't as different as what you see in the movie. And I've been to a lot of the places that he's in the film um, shot in Boston the surrounding towns of like Somerville and Cambridge into like the South shore. So there's lots of um, location shooting. And whenever my husband and I watch it, we love to just look up the locations and see the bank that they robbed in the beginning of the movie is still a bank and it's still in Dedham. You can go see it if you want. So I think that's That's really interesting. But this is like the, yeah, it is one of the most Boston movies, if you think about it, because we are known for our heist movies, our mob movies. And this one is, it's got some bank heists, it's got the mob story, 
this is one of the most ultimate stories of betrayal. Everyone is betraying everybody. And the mm-hmm. title is really interesting because it's the friends of Eddie Coyle and Robert Mitchum is play- praying Eddie Coyle. And you realize he has no friends. No, everyone, everyone is ready to betray him at any moment. He's also betraying people as well. Mm-hmm. So, and This influenced a lot of the Boston movies that came after, like the town references. Um, this film all the time is similar, yes, yes, Yes. where like you, like you have the person walking out to the shore. I think they filmed at the same spot. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we are known for our bank heists. When I moved to my town here, there was two jewelry heists within a year (laughs) in my area. So yeah. I don't know what it is about Massachusetts, but we really like robbing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, it was the really... bank robbery capital of, of the world or something was. Yes. Like, that was what it was purported in the town. Yes, for and sure. And this, when he made, when Robert Mitchum made Friends of Eddie Coyle, this was the height of the um, Winter Hill Gang, which was at the time led by Whitey Bulger. Robert Mitchum tried to meet Whitey Bulger and they were like, no, that's not a good idea. But he did meet some of the Winter Hill Gang. And there's like this picture of him oh, wow. um, with some of them. and. This is actually a really good example of the level of research that Mitchum would do for a role. He, mm-hmm. I guess, spoke to like four different police officers to kind of really get the accent down. Yes. Um, and he has one of the best Boston accents I've ever seen because a lot of people overplay it and go a little too over the top. Um, I know Kevin Costner tried and he oh, did not yes. do a great days. job with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Robert Mitchum's accent is so subtle and is very, like very that. true. And it's not over the top. And he gets a lot of like he drops the R's in the correct way. Um, and it's just like he does such a good job. And no one can really criticize his Boston accent for being too over the top because it's just spot on. And the fact that he would do this research and he spent a lot of time with the locals and mm-hmm. wanted to meet the gang members um, for this role is just really interesting. And it shows what he would do to to throw himself into this role. And this role is just very much he's kind of like this this age like his middle-aged criminal who really doesn't want to go back to jail. So he um, colludes with this guy from the Bureau of like firearms and um, is kind of giving him tips. But then Peter Boyle's character is also like telling on him and everyone's telling on each other. I know it's in the middle of it. Yeah. And blood on the moon. So much double crossing. It's, it's all in Mitchum's uh, wheelhouse. Yes. I love what you're saying about accents because that is a pet peeve. I'm from Minnesota originally. And I think one of my favorite accents uh, was Marissa Tomei in untamed heart because she did underplay it. It was understated and it was like, that's how my friends sound. That's how the hairdresser sounds. That's, you know, it was, she just kind of modeled it after her driver every day. She was very subtly listening. And you can kind of see that because sometimes uh, actors, they hit the vowels in a weird way that kind of tells on them or they go too hard. And I loved uh, that because it's, you know, you can hear it right away in that first scene with Jackie Brown. uh, But 
I love that. Um, but it, it is subtle enough where you're like, oh, he's doing an accent here and it's good. And I think that that's excellent. I also love the book that this is based on. It's a. I have two copies of it and I have yet to read it. Oh, it's um, excellent. I think you'll I really have one enjoy right it. here actually with me. But um, yeah, it's he's a, a local. Read. He's a he was a local author and he was like the assistant um, district attorney. So he had this whole insight into the criminal local criminal world. Yes. Which really is, speaks to the uh, the power of the movie and how it kind of gets that that right and how it's so steeped in Boston criminal culture, but also just in the Boston area. And it just feels kind of authentic for a it fictional does. movie. <laughs> yeah, George B. Higgins. Uh, sometimes you need lawyers to do that. Like um, one of my favorite um, foreign crime films, it had uh, Joel Kinnaman and it was a trilogy, the Easy Money or the Snob Cash trilogy, which came out of Sweden. And it was uh, from a lawyer there who worked with all these people and just, mm. you know, was able to a tap right into that. And that's what you get like that. It was the Stockholm noir trilogy is what they actually called it. And so here you have a lawyer doing that. I think um, Swedish noir is really good. Like they have, really some, they have a knack for really dark yes. stories. <laughs> yeah. It was uh Jens Lapidus. I want to say is the author of those, but um, here, you know, I also love, you have Peter Yates as director and mm -hmm. he's outdoing himself. There's, there's a car action, you know, he did bullet. Um, it's kind of one of the best, I mean, besides one of the best Boston movies ever and the best crime, it is one of the best crime movies of that era. And the seventies mm -hmm. were an embarrassment of riches. We had like French connection and all of these films, uh, the Godfather movies, which are different. I call those more family stories than mob stories. I'm weird, but I'm Italian. But, uh, you know, um, but also think about uh, what was going on in England with their crime movies. I don't know why I think like this would be a killer double feature with The Long Good Friday, which is one of my favorites. Oh, OK. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and I think this also just holds a special connection to people who are from the Boston area, yes. like the final scene um, well, the final sequences, you have um, Robert Mitchum being kind of lured to a Bruins game Ooh. at the at yeah. what was called the garden, the garden, <laughs> which has changed. I think it's like the TD Bank or something now. I actually graduated from college at that arena. Oh, it was called wonderful. the Police Center wow. at the time. <laughs> um that is one of the most iconic um, buildings in Boston. It's like gone through a lot of name changes and gone through like renovations. But to see it from 1973 in this movie is really quite special because it's just so iconic. And then it it ends. There's several shots of a government center with the city hall in the background. That's where um, Peter Boyle and is it Richard Jordan um, where they have those little conferences yes. with each other. Mm -hmm. I have spent so much time. I, I've gone to that tea stop so many times. I mean, I know oh, that area awesome. and it's really cool to see that looks exactly the same now because it's still, still that kind of ugly cement <laughs> um, uh, building and landscape, but um, it's just really cool to see it. Cool to see it. And you also in the background, um, the John Hancock building is being yeah. built. It's almost finished, I think in the movies, you kind of get, a shot of that 
Yeah. It's really a cool time capsule of of Boston. <laughs> I was going to ask you, because I know like my friend Sean always tries to go see it when it's in theaters there. Have you seen it a few times in the theater in Boston yet? <laughs> That's a shame. I, I should know. see they it, the, play it on the more. big screen. Yeah. yeah, I should be. I should see it on the big screen. I mean, I know um, the movie The Fighter, which takes place in the mm-hmm. Boston area. I actually saw that movie in the theater in in Lexington, mm-hmm. where two of the characters go on a date. Oh wow! Um, and they enter the theater, and I was in that theater watching that movie, and we all cheered when we <laughs> see the shot of the cinema. And um, so I love watching local movies here on the big screen with the local crowd. So this that would be a perfect movie to go see is The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Yeah. Did you see The Town in the theater? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. did see that yeah. one. Yeah. And, sure. and I had just seen Eddie Coyle recently when I'd watched it and I was just like making all the connections. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's it's a brilliant film. And um just anyone who wants to do like a bank robbery movie should really watch this too. And um, mm-hmm. because of the way, I mean, technology has changed, but also just how they set it up. I love Peter Boyle. It, this has such a great cast of faces or I like mugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these aren't just like leading men. These are people whose faces you're going to remember and they're very distinctive. And uh, that's one of the great things about crime films, I think. And I, I love that about this. So I was really glad I even love that, that Joe Santos it. is in it from um, best known from the Rockford Files. He's yes. got a, a role as one of the mobsters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's such a good one. I was so glad that you chose it. It is harder to find. Um, I know it was out on Criterion. Uh, they need to mm-hmm. re-release it or come on, you guys like come out with a 4k or something but uh but yes i was really glad and i know you're a huge fan of mitchum are there any others you want to we talked about holiday affair of course any others you want to give a shout out to that people listening should be sure to look for well yeah definitely holiday affair that is such a great um christmas movie because it takes place around christmas but i think of it as a new year's movie because it is about new beginnings. It's about yeah. starting afresh. And it's about like really um, reevaluating what 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 a person means to you and whether you should move forward with a relationship um, and and how you should not necessarily hold on to the past and really um, uh, like look to the future. Mm-hmm. And that has a great, that's a great New Year's thing because New Year's is very much about new beginnings. So yeah, I really. Stock and Yeah, exactly. And there's this final shot where they're on the train I and it's that. New Year's and everyone's got the streamers and, and noisemakers and stuff. So that, that is really great. Um, there's, I have to say he plays, um, I'm trying, oh, uh, the Yakuza or Yakuza. Oh, yeah. Um, That is a great, like, Japanese crime movie. And that also shows Mitchum's range that he could play um, all these different types of stories. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember what else, like, I could recommend to people. Oh, Ryan's Daughter is a great example of him mastering an accent because I think it's... um, northern ireland i want to say or it's an irish accent he took a lot of time to really master that um and i think that's just it really reflects upon it and it's a character unlike anything he's 
played, I think he's like a school teacher in okay. the movie. He's very much subdued and um and he's he's very much like a nice guy. He's very gentle. It's completely different from anything he's ever played. And I know he uh his um his performances as Philip Marlowe get a lot of hate because yeah. he was much older. Mm-hmm. Which, you but- know, I mean the new Marlowe movie also has <laughs> Yes, you know, um, uh, an an older actor, Liam Neeson, playing mm-hmm. um, Philip Marlowe. He's even much older than Robert Mitchum when he played Philip Marlowe. But um, Robert Mitchum plays Philip Marlowe in Farewell, My Lovely, and the remake of The Big Sleep. And I think they're worth watching if you like neo noirs. I yes. just to see his different interpretation of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was only ever nominated once for a Academy Award for a story of G.I. Joe, which we had mentioned earlier. Um, that's an okay movie for him because he doesn't actually have much screen time. <laughs> but if you're curious to see one of his early films, that is a really great one to watch just to see him kind of coming into his own. And then um, as like the 40s progresses, he gets more and more um um, screen time one to avoid I would say is undercurrent because okay <laughs> he and Catherine Hepburn do not have good chemistry <laughs> together <laughs> gotcha. yeah that always makes a difference you know you yes know yeah but uh, and also and also the films that he did with Jane Russell like Macau yeah. <gasps> and like um yeah and his kind of woman I mean they yeah. they were lifelong friends in mm-hmm. fact when um like what the last interview he ever did was with Robert Osborne for TCM and it was Robert Osborne, Jane Russell and Robert Mitchum and Jane Russell was very much his support there cuz you, you if you watch it like Robert Mitchum's not happy to be there oh. and Jane Russell's the go between um but they were lifelong friends um so it's really just, it's cool to see their their chemistry in um his kind of woman in Macau which are two like RKO kind of fun, stylish, sexy noirs. <laughs> yeah, Macau um, has a very sexy ending. I remember <laughs> doing like a screenshot of that and sharing it on Twitter uh, in the water. Like you have to get used to me wet or something like that. And like the lines that they uh, got away with are pretty pretty uh, heat filled for the time, let's say. And yeah, oh, I think I, I should mention Track of the Cat, which is another great like western and he's really evil in it and it's visually really interesting because he's the only one really wearing color yes it's snowy everyone's Mm -hmm. kind of in dark colors and he's wearing bright red so visually Uh it's really interesting and he's just really interesting in it yeah that was an unusual one i remember yeah (laughs) yes well i want to thank you so much those are all really great recommendations and it was just such a joy to talk about robert mitchum with you raquel thank you yeah thank you so much you'll have to come back come up with another topic i think i recruited you for this i was like you're gonna come on and talk about robert mitchum but next time your topic for sure yeah (laughs) i I would have picked this topic too okay Great Perfect. suggestion. <laughs> yeah, I know. I twisted your arm here because you notoriously <laughs> oh, no. are not Mitch a fan. <laughs> yes. Yes. And as promised, we're following up the conversation I had with Raquel with another guest conversation on the films of Robert Mitchum because he made so many tremendous pictures. 
You heard Amy Robinson along with her producing partner, Griffin Dunn, a few months ago on the podcast. And after we wrapped up that conversation, along with my good friend, Kate Hagen, they were talking about their favorite movies. And I invited them, you know, anytime anyone wanted to chat about movies to come on back. And Amy immediately said she was a huge fan of Robert Mitchum. I already had the Raquel episode in the works. But when I talked to Amy, I wanted to be sure to bring her aboard because I love her thoughts on film and she's very passionate and knowledgeable. And also because she had a great idea to sort of investigate some of the movies that don't get discussed very often and a partnership that was extremely worth watching and very successful in terms of the films and the chemistry, and that is Robert Mitchum's relationship and work with Deborah Carr, his good friend. So that's what you're going to hear in this following conversation. But first, a reminder, Amy Robinson is an extremely talented woman who has produced some tremendous films, including After Hours, Chilly Scenes of Winter, Running on Empty, Baby It's You, and more. So let's dive in to the discussion. Amy, thank you so much for being here. I love talking to you and Griffin about your wonderful films. It was such a joy, and it was good to make your acquaintance after um, knowing you a little bit on social media. And I know you are a fellow Robert Mitchum fan, which is very cool. So what is it about Robert Mitchum that you think is so compelling on screen? You mean besides he's a gorgeous hunk? Yes. Besides (laughs) that. Yeah. And he is. Yeah. I know that's a very sexist thing to say, but uh, anyway. Oh, everyone thinks that men, women alike. Yes. Uh, It's true. Um, Yeah. Well, I during the pandemic, I just started watching. I actually think the first Mitchum movie I watched during the pandemic was Heaven Knows Mr. Allison. And um, I actually can't remember how I watched it, but I fell in love with the movie and I fell in love with him in the movie and I fell in love with he and Deborah Carr together in that movie because they had so much chemistry. And basically, aside from a lot of um, Japanese soldiers, they were the only people in the movie. Yes. And it was yet felt like a big movie, a war movie. And it did. He was, um, you know, so real and so touching. And I think you wrote something, maybe it was on Twitter or on threads somewhere where you said, I'm so, I'm glad I didn't see this when I was young because I was Catholic. And all I would wish for is that, you know, she, she hadn't taken her vinyl vows. I know. Yes. And so part of you is like, oh, don't do it. You know, run know. Yes. but the end of the movie is so touching when she says, you know, Mr. Allison, you'll always be in my heart and you'll always be close to me. And she's carrying that comb. And it all maybe sounds when you talk about it a little corny, but it's not corny. It's a wonderful, beautiful movie. So that sort of got me on the Mitchum kick. And, um, he was in so many movies and some of them are really, really good. And some of them are not as good, but he's always good. Always. 
I actually did this deep dive, and then I'll get back to Robert Mitchum and Deborah Carr, but um, I, I, I did this deep dive about, first of all, I read two books on him. I read The Wonderful Baby, I Don't Care, which Lee Server wrote, and it's a great you know, all-encompassing biography. And then I found this book called Solid Dad Crazy. Have Ooh, you? Yeah, no, I don't know that book. one. Okay, it, I'm going to have to get it. It's by a guy named Damien Love, and he's Scottish, Scottish. And it's more like a riff on Mitchum. Um, and he talks about how he was sitting watching black and white TV when Mitchum died and uh, one of his old movies came on. And then he talks about the movies, but it's a great compliment with baby. I, I don't care. So uh, read those in tandem. It sounds like, yeah, yeah. it's a lovely book, beautifully written and full of love for Mitchum. Oh, uh, nice. um, so then, you know, out of the past. I mean, there's so many great, great movies, but uh, I, I I went back and because of YouTube and, and because I read the, the server book, which really goes into detail about his background and, and yeah. he never went to film school. He never went to acting school. He basically hardly, he never really graduated from high school. He ran away and he was on the road and he was a hobo, mm-hmm. but you can pull up the old, um, Hop along Cassidy's, which were Ooh. his first job. You know, he was sort of um wandering around Hollywood, uh, not even trying to be an actor, but needed work. And so said, so you could be in these westerns, you know. So he went over there and they said, Can you ride a horse? And he really couldn't ride a horse, but he learned how to ride a horse. But you see him learning how to act. The first one he ever did was called um Hoppy serves a writ. Okay. And, and uh he's a bad guy and he's leaning against the bar. And you see, he's not really paying attention. Like the the second unit director or whoever was directing him, the first AD said, just stand over there. You know, you're one of the bad guys. So he stood over there. He's probably thinking about other things. And um, and then he's in a number. And then you saw him engage and understand what it was to be on film. Mm-hmm. And, and he started to listen. And all through his career, he's been a great listener, uh, which is an he amazing really has. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, quality for an actor to be able to really listen and not just be sitting there thinking, when's my next line? When's this? But and it helps the other actors and all actors who have worked with him say that, that he's such mm-hmm. a supportive partner. So um, going back now and tell me when you want me to shut up and you talk no. um, to Deborah Carr. After I saw Allison, I then looked at what they had done together. And it turns out they had made total of three feature films and one television movie together. And they were, all the features were between 1957 and 1960. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other two in that period were a a movie called the Sundowners, 
which is a wonderful Australian yarn. And they both are playing Australian uh, characters mm-hmm. and they're married. And it they have a very sexy relationship. Yeah, it is a sexy movie for sure. Yeah. And they, you know, some people thought were shocked that Deborah Carr was so sexy in that movie, even yeah. though she's been sexy but she and he just clicked you know they some mm-hmm. on on screen click like uh clark clark gable and gene harlow you know you yeah look, can't she, fake chemistry and they had yeah, the chemistry and theoretically Carr and mitchum never had an affair although he mm-hmm. had affairs with a lot of uh yes women he worked with but theoretically they didn't but they had such on-screen chemistry and the third picture the grass is greener um which stanley donnan directed um i don't think it's a great picture no but they're they're good together yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. the first half hour of that picture when he goodness into the uh private quarters of this very prim and proper English woman and they immediately uh fall in love with each other. Um, yes. And it's just clearly they they were just a great great team and he uh, uh, uh felt that about her. You know, he he loved working yeah. with her. Yeah. And then reunion at Fairborough was um you know, three of these I realized after you mentioned it, the only one I'd seen was Grass is Greener, actually. I had not seen um, Heaven Knows Mr. Allison. And I I remember starting the Sundowners, but I think it was late at night and I was tired. And for whatever reason, I didn't get back to it. So it was a really good excuse to go in and watch all of these. And I loved um, Heaven Knows Mr. Allison is definitely my favorite. I'm so glad that you recommended that because, yes, I was remembering I did uh, do Catholic middle school and um, just, you know, around time. And we had some teachers who loved to show us movies. Um, Some of them like were just great films like Madawan and a lot of John Sayles actually was was uh, Eight Men Out. I think we watched. I had a history teacher who was a big sales fan. And so we just watched a lot of films for whatever reason. And so I don't know why they didn't show us this one, but I'm kind of glad they they didn't because I would have been rooting for them to make out. And, you know, as an adult, you watch it and you see that and you're like, ooh, there's sparks here. But there is something really beautiful. Probably during the pandemic, it was especially heightened about these two people just connecting and um, falling in love, but it's a platonic love, but they know they're going to be... Um, you know, always important. And so there's going to be a distance or a barrier there physical. So I can imagine watching it in the pandemic was especially pretty touching. And so I loved watching this. And I did an episode on John Houston last season with the author S.A. Cosby. And um, we talked about a handful of his films and we kept referencing, you know, other ones. And so when I was watching this, I was thinking about some of those early films and how this really is a John Houston picture. He loved this sort of dynamic between men and women. So I especially loved, we can go into them one by one, but heaven knows Mr. Allison, was that your first watch a few years ago or had you seen it? I think, uh, I think it was my first watch. I don't remember having seen it yeah. because you know, I think I would totally remember it because I like movies about nuns. Like one of my favorite yes. <laughs> 
uh, the nun story. Yeah. And I actually rewatched that recently, but I saw that years ago, but I don't think I ever saw heaven knows Mr. Allison. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of a revelation on a lot of levels. Um, why? And, and a friend of mine, Aliza, you may know Aliza, Aliza Ma, she works at Criterion and she was a programmer at Metrograph when Metrograph, the theater here in New York first opened. And so she was going to do a a series on nun movies. Oh, wow. So I said, well, heaven knows Mr. Allison. She said, I love heaven knows Mr. Allison. So, you know, it was a a kind of a topic of conversation. And I, I also think it's very, as in Nun's story, because he fell in love with her in that movie too. Peter yes. Finch fell in love with Audrey Hepburn and, you know, yes. she sort of fell in love with him, but not really. <laughs> and um, it very similar to this where Mitchum says, but we may just be on this island for the rest of our lives. What are you going to do? I mean, yes. is this, and then the Japanese show up 10 minutes later. So um, <laughs> it's all very romantic. And I, it I is. yeah, it, in a, in a desert island, desert yeah. island but also <laughs> in the, 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 the true sense of what romantic is not uh, sexual. It's just yeah. completely emotional. Uh, mm-hmm. The bond between the two of them and Mr. Allison. Yeah, that foundation. It isn't like some of some movies where they meet and fall into bed together in the first, you know, 10 minutes or something. Right. Different right. movie. Yes. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Like the cinematography is great. It's just such classic storytelling. And uh, it's an exciting action adventure movie. I mean, you kind of have to, you know, uh, check your brain a little bit that he he kind of wins one uh for everyone there at the end but i i love it i think mitchum is so good and it's really great too you were talking about how he would always kind of sort of joke or put himself down or his his craft so to speak but he is such a good listener and you see like she is better in those scenes because of who she is acting opposite of and vice versa. And I think um, together they really bring something out. I think on paper, you think Deborah Carr and Robert Mitchum, would that work? But it works magnificently well. It's that alchemy. She, she thought what you just said. She thought when she heard that she was going to be doing this movie with Robert Mitchum, she thought, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I've heard he's a ruffian, you know. Yeah. And- if you look at these interviews with her, which you can also watch on, on YouTube or other places, she goes, and then I found out that he was a poetic soul and we'd sit on the beach and we'd look at the phosphorescence and, oh. you know, she's she sort of completely, obviously, she was married at the time yeah. and married his whole life, but they did fall in love in some kind of way. Some capacity. And, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, a great one. What is the one um, that they made right after this? What was well, I I can't. I'm a little confused whether the Sundowners was made next or Grass is Greener was made next because they okay. both came out in. Six- oh, I think it was Sundowners because that's what drove him to it. He was very excited to act opposite her again. I was reading, and part of it was. You know, they said, you know, um, and he was excited. He said, I'll take second billing. You can have a 
the, the line was like, can, the poster can be just me bowing to her. Like he was, he was definitely smitten and excited to work with her again. Yes. Well, and the interesting thing when you contrast Allison and Sundowners is they have this long marriage in yeah. Sundowners, but they are very prickly with each other, you yes. know, and he is, uh, you know, he's a, a roused about and he's a drunk. He, he mm-hmm. drink, over drinks and he gambles his money away. Yeah. And yet she loves him unconditionally. I mean, there's a scene in the movie when she says to her, they want, she and her son want to have a farm and not yeah. be sundowners and go around and hurt yeah. sheep. Yeah, in the bush they're constantly on the move yes right and 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 the son says to her at some point well why don't you let dad go and we'll stay here and she says please don't ever say that to me again because if you make me choose between you and your father i will always choose your father Mm-hmm. Which a lot of mothers would say they no would. not at all and uh but yes i mean there is like like we were mentioning when we were talking about this at the beginning it is a very sexy movie and uh they are i mean they get on each other's last nerve and he is like my goodness you know losing the money that they saved right. for the farm right. and it's devastating and um, you know, you wonder how many second chances this guy has probably had again and again, but she just keeps um because she is hopelessly in love, seduced by him. They still light each other's fire and still um are completely in love. Like there's a sweet uh scene where she, you know, he's working hard. I kind of made a joke on uh, I think it was letterboxed. I said this is sort of like the Brian Brown in Thornbird's origin story, you know, he's shearing <laughs> sheep and he's sexy. Yeah. And it's like that character's origin story would be the like his parents would be these people essentially. And um, you know, so it's been a hard week and his back's hurting, and you know, and they want to go out on a Saturday night, uh, which is a big deal because they have to ride into town and and how, you know, it's almost like they're courting or they're uh, just and he's just so bummed out. And she is, too, that at the last minute, she doesn't want to go because a woman is, you know, about to go into yeah, labor it, and, yeah. you know, a doctor, it would take forever. And women have had more experience with this. And, uh, you know, it's just like like two people who are just meeting and want to go out for the first or second or third time. And so that's kind of sweet. And it's unexpected um, in movies about marriages, uh, long marriages. And so that's rare. Yeah. Yeah. It, it And it was such a, a you know, a exotic topic, like these sheep herders yes. who, who basically they don't even they just take the sheep from one place to another. And Australia was such a, a and obviously Zinnemann was very taken with the animals because there are a lot all of these animal shots where I you see the bear and you see the kangaroos and you see all the birds and but the but the anchor of the movie again is those two and yep. this very um as you say, uh, a, a portrait of a different kind of an, a marriage. And yeah. it was marriage with warts. And again, I think Deborah Carr, because she felt very safe with Mitchum, she played yeah. a much more prickly character than she usually plays. She was sarcastic. Yes. She, 
said uh, uh, mean things to him, and and yet through it all, you knew that she was madly in love with him. Yeah. And somehow that's what they were able to bring out in each other, which always moves me in a movie when you, you see that. And they brought it out as the characters, you know, not as themselves. So um, true. And I love the accents. You know, a lot of people don't credit Mitchum as being very good with accents. When I talked to Raquel Setcher um, earlier this summer about some of the films, like him doing a Boston accent in Friends of Eddie Coyle and the Southern in uh, Night of the Hunter, he he is good with dialect. Oh, he was and, excellent with accents. Yes, I mean, yeah. he, he can do a lot of accents. In fact, musician's uh, ear, I think a yeah, little bit. Yeah. He was very musical and he, he picked it up, uh, you know, and, and in, um, uh, oh, you know, the David Lean movie. Um, oh, it's a big, huge movie. Sarah Miles is in it. Um, Ryan's, Ryan's daughter. daughter. Yes. And he does a great accent in that too. Um, you know, he, he, he really had that ability. Yes. Uh, yeah, a great one. And um, I read Nicholas Rogue was like a second unit director on this, which was maybe part of the animal shots and the bush and why it's like a little bit more authentic. So yeah, it's another Zinnemann epic. I think that was probably what was throwing me like when I started it, it was late at night. And I was like, uh Oh, is this going to keep me up for a lot of hours? But yeah, I was really uh, glad to watch it again. Um, now, I, I think it is maybe a little bit longer uh, than it needs to be. But I love their dynamic. And um, it's just you kind of fall into the rhythm of these people sort of it's kind of like why I enjoy the lusty men it's a different type of ensemble and group that you're following that you don't normally see put on screen and that's exciting yeah yes I agree with you and the lusty men we can get to that great yes. movie <laughs> I know we both that wasn't excellent no. movie. um and yeah. then this is greener as we we touched on a little bit. Uh, I love Stanley Donnan's movies generally. Yeah, I, Singing in the Rain is one of my favorite films ever. Yeah, that's a great. And I love a movie that bears some relationship to the Grass is Greener called Indiscreet with Cary Grant. Oh and yes, Bergman. I think that is a fantastic and romantic movie. It is. Uh, it's so ahead of its time. Yeah. And and so when I read about the grass is greener, which I hadn't seen in the real time or even later, I thought, oh, it'll be like indiscreet. And I love indiscreet so much. <clears throat> I was a bit disappointed in the movie in general, but yeah, uh, because it, it sort of gets slapstick in a way, you know, and they're going to yeah. have a like the second of- half of the movie yeah. is a different movie, I think, than the first. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But the first is almost like actually like a li- it, it it's it would be an interesting scene to show it to young actors in an acting class because yeah the setup is two people who come from different walks of life who don't know each other and Mm-mm. act like complete strangers and then have this uh, kind of almost immediate repartee connection. It's kind of almost the opposite of heaven knows Mr. Allison where 
you know, uh, yeah. And he's this roused about Marine and they have to learn who each other are. These two people just immediately Mm -hmm. sparked fly. And again, I credit the two actors because it could have been kind of dull with two other actors and you wouldn't have believed it and the dialogue it it, it apparently is a play it comes yes. from yeah it could have been just very talky and not particularly sexy mm-hmm. but uh it's very sexy um it is and Cary Grant was always giving uh, Mitchum credit for the movie not shutting down and the movie working because uh, first of all, Cary Grant was, he turned it down. I think it was supposed to be Rex Harrison and Harrison's wife was ill. And so he just jumped in. And then um, I think it was Charlton Heston and Rock Hudson were a couple of the people they were hoping would play the American. They turned that down. Part of the reason people were turning it down is they didn't want second billing or to be opposite um, Cary Grant. Um, and so Mitchum gladly took third billing. He was like, you know, fine with that. Like, it, you, and he was also, I think, like, oh, it's Deborah. I'll do that. Exactly. It was kind of, and you have Gene Simmons again. He was with her right. three right. times. Now they were involved. I had read, but they're great together. I love the movie they did, Angel Face. Oh I mean, my god, amazing. Yeah. yeah, and so it was good to see them in something again. And, uh, you know, Cary Grant had been with Deborah Carr a few times. And yeah, so you're watching for the pleasure of these people. Yeah. And and she says a couple funny things because she said, oh, you know, Cary and and Mitchum were so different because Mitchum was like, Cary was always, well, is this the right shirt? And how do I look? And and Mitchum would say, what do I put on now? Yeah. Okay fine i'll do that yeah yeah you know and 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 yet they work off each other really well uh yeah even though they're very different kinds of actors um yes which is cool you know not everybody approaches things the same way and i think also you need that in this kind of a dynamic when you have um a love triangle movie like if they had been too similar it might not have worked as well um for what it is i mean the film you know we're making it maybe sound better than it was i saw it for the first time a couple years ago i think it was on the criterion channel in some sort of a collection and so that's when i saw it um but yeah that was the only one of the the car films that i had seen Mm -hmm. oh that's interesting so you got you got to see the other two just recently and yes. had not seen them before. No. About yeah. at Fairborough. Did you ever that see that one? I had never even heard of that movie. So I was really excited. You gave me great homework, Amy. So recommend things anytime. But, um, you know, Reunion at Fairborough was, it was charming. You know, it's kind of a, a, a it's a different movie. It's a TV movie made for HBO. But, uh, it was really sweet for what it was. And it was good to see them playing sort of former sweethearts from the war uh, at this reunion and, um, you know, meeting his granddaughter. And I, I, I liked all of that stuff. And to me, it was, it was good to almost see. like the button on Allison. Because a little bit. Yeah. Like, what it, if they had had a. Yes. What if yes. they had. And, and she kept saying, what happened to that beautiful young man? She kept. Yes. <laughs> movie, and he said he got old, you know, and and, and 
that whenever she said what happened to that beautiful young man, I would picture the way he looked in Allison. And yes. the fact that he had an affair with her in Fairborough and then left her, even though she clearly w- was the love yeah. of his life, and did not even know that he had a daughter nope. or a gl- granddaughter is a very, uh, you, you know, it's a premise that people have tried in other movies and, and succeeded with, but I thought that part of the movie worked very well. It and really it was about the two of them. And even the scene when he convinces her to go to the hotel with him and to, to, yes. to make love and they're older, you know, and yes. they are together uh, in bed. And, and again, it, to me, it's like a button on Mr. Allison, like, yeah. Oh, okay. They got together. I know. And there's a line like, you know, uh, like no time had passed or something like, you know, like their love was still the same, which was kind of a beautiful, beautiful thing. So it was a nice little capper on all of those other films and especially Mr. Allison, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. See the movies with Carr and then you think of him and things like Night of the Hunter and uh, and even you you had referenced uh, Eddie Coyle. You you think of the other kinds of parts he played. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he, he just had a very, very broad range. He wasn't yeah. just Mr. Thing. Cape Fear. No. Yeah. yeah. Cape Fear, unbelievable performance. Yeah. And and, uh, and you know, Eddie Coyle playing somebody who really is low level, down and out, and he just embraced it and and mm-hmm. played it at the end of that movie when he's at the, oh my gosh at the hockey game and and they're gonna kill him and yeah, uh, unbelievable. Yeah, I know that's one of your favorite films. You said yes, love that yeah. movie. I, yeah. I, there are a lot of his movies I love. I you you referenced earlier, um, the Lusty Men, which yes. is another movie. Even though I'm a huge Nick Ray fan, that I had never seen. I think it was the last ten years for me too. Yeah, and, and so when during the pandemic, and I'm reading all the different Mitchum things, and I watch this movie, and I go, "Oh my god, this is a great movie." I it mean, really not just Mitchum, but it's. it's a great Nick Ray movie and I know uh, it's such a Nick Ray movie and it's like the most I mean people think you know in a lonely place and stuff but it's like one of the more even more melancholy and romantic Nicholas Ray movies and it's gorgeous yes I'm a big western fan and it's yes uh, yeah uh and it's again it's about men and women as lonely place was too uh but mm-hmm. but and it's tough it's just a tough movie and and i i love him in that movie and i i love that he he and ray got to make a movie together i think it was fantastic it is and when i was watching it i think it was the first time just listening to the sound design of the movie and hearing the wind and for whatever reason, I was thinking, man, I bet Peter Bogdanovich watched this a ton of times before he did um, the last picture show. <laughs> yes. But anyway, it reminded me of um, like the sound design and just also 
these performances, like watching it, you thought, oh, wow, I bet on Lee. And when they did um, Brokeback Mountain, they watched this and there's just so much to it. It also seems like it would be a good one to watch, um, like in a double feature with Red River. I just I loved it so much. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and the Chloe Zhao movie about the rodeo. Yes. Uh, the writer. She probably watched it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah the, the beginning of that movie and when you talk about the sound design but the, the brilliance of when he's limping along and he gets off the bus and he goes back to the old shack that he grew up in and crawls under the house you know you oh i love that taking out these little tin things and uh it's a very special movie and very special yeah. very specially made too um, yeah, I think it's one of his best performances too, Mitchum. And a lot of it is like just in his reaction and, um, you know, the what he's able to convey um, listening and looking. Good. Yeah. Yes, that is a yeah. good example of his listening because yeah. obviously he was, uh, he says it in the movie, you know, he was falling in love with Susan Hayward, but he kept it to himself, you know, and he yeah. would watch their interactions and he'd, watch how she reacted to Arthur Kennedy and uh, all of the things that were going on, you know? And Yeah. It was, he was always kind of stealing glances or sideways looks is what yeah. I was zeroing in on uh, one of the times I was rewatching it during the pandemic and probably getting way too romantic about it because it was the pandemic, but yeah, just his uh, reaction to her was so good. Yes. Well, I, I hope that, uh, Robert Mitchum would be happy that all we girls and probably a lot of guys uh, were able to take solace from him during the yes. pandemic. He helped us. He really Help. did. Yeah. I also watched uh, his movies with Jane Russell uh, uh -huh. during the pandemic, which I hadn't seen. Macau, which is a lot of fun. It's not a perfect movie, but it's fun. His kind of woman and his um, kind of woman is a crazy movie, isn't it? It's kind yes. of bananas. Yes. <laughs> Are there any others that you love that you want to give a shout out to? I mean, you know, we we're recommending people should check out as many as they can, but yeah. Um, gee, others. Ryan's daughter, great. Well, Ryan's daughter, you know, a lot of people have problems with Ryan's daughter, yeah. uh, and it's a it, it is an overblown movie, but yes. I think he gives a a, a At really least performance wise, performance. yes. And of course, if people haven't ever seen Cape Fear. Yes. Uh, I have to say My he's goodness. so scary. He's so um menaces menacingly sexual in it. And yes. Went for it. You know, he went for it in every way. And apparently people on the set were scared of him. You know, it, yeah. he was so into it. And he didn't really want to do that part. But once he had said yes, hundred mm -hmm. percent, and yeah. it's definitely a movie that should be watched with Robert. Mitchell. Yes, yeah. If you thought he was scary in Night of the Hunter, he's even scarier. I would say yes. And yeah. of course, and I'm sure that most of your listeners have seen it, but I think Out of the Past is almost a perfect oh, movie. It is. Yep. So, yeah, one of the uh, best film noir films. Yeah. And they had no money to make that. And, know. you know, uh, and she, Jane Greer, really 
was she credits him a lot with helping her through that movie. Aww. And she's so brilliant in the movie. She is. Has one, one of the great Mitchum reaction shots, which is it's classic. They always play it, which is when he's having the fight with his partner and she kills the partner. Yes. And there's close up of him turning and just looking at her like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. She's a <laughs> yeah. woman that I love, this woman that I've given up my life for. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a great moment. I always see it in the compilation on TCM when they're, yeah, right. like what the channel does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, so good. This was a lot of fun. I love Robert Mitchum and I was so glad that you wanted to talk about him with me. This is well, Janet in a, in a good mood. So All I need right. that too. I like it. Yes. Uh, You'll have to come back another time, another topic. Anytime you want to talk about movies, you have an open invitation. Thank you. Yes. You're great and I like your work. So oh, we thank you. Maintain. Yes. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals. RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.